Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Maduni Krishnan. I'm joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who covers airlines for Skift and Airline Weekly. Um, on today's episode, we talk about transatlantic demand and how that's shaping up. We also discuss uh, Ned's recent visit to Amer- Americans Maintenance Repair and Overhaul Facility in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we look at uh, domestic U.S. demand and how the summer may look for the U.S. carriers. Thank you for joining us. Please check us out and, and subscribe at airlineweekly.com. A new issue drops every Monday, and you can find details on how to subscribe to the issue uh, to the publication on our on our um, on our website. We update the site throughout the week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Edward Ned Russell. Thanks for joining me on the lounge again this week. Pleasure to be here, Madhu. So it's been a couple of weeks since you were in Tulsa at uh, American's MRO, but we had it was the feature story in this week's uh, Airline Weekly. Um, so tell us about your field trip to the MRO and what American is doing to get ready for what could be a, a pretty busy summer season, which we'll get to later. But let's talk about American now. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, for those unfamiliar, Tulsa is, according to American, the largest commercial airline MRO in the U.S., maybe the world. I, I don't I haven't checked that. But they have a, a massive facility on the edge of the Tul- at the edge of the Tulsa airport that includes multiple hangars. They do work there on all of their mainline jets. Uh, so everything from A320s and 737s up to 777s. Huh. So it's it's a massive facility, and I got the opportunity to take a tour of the line that they're uh, using to reactivate uh, aircraft. As I hope you wore out. comfortable oh. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I did wear comfortable shoes, Madhu, but hey, it would be great to run around. That's another story. That's another story. Another podcast. <laughs> yes. So you know, they are actually in the final innings of, of reactivating aircraft for American ahead of the summer. They they were I got a chance to look at two 737s that were going through the work. And as you know, as when you you know, park an airplane, everything has to be checked and double checked and triple checked. So I had the maintenance techs there walked me through everything they do. Lots of looking at seals. You know, I asked if seals regularly dry out, and they're like, not really, but it's more concerned if they do, and they want to make sure they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, checking for, for various uh, wildlife in the crevices and corners. Yeah, what of, kind of, of wildlife did they tell you? Yeah, so they've said they have everything from there's a season where birds tend to uh, nest in, in aircraft. Wheel wells are very popular. You know, they have found uh, tarantulas uh, on the wheels. Um, let's see, snakes have been found. Uh, I mean, it is Tulsa out on the plains, so there's there's a lot of interesting animals that can get in there. Uh, opossums, they, they did have a possum oh. once. You know, just just finding little corners in the plains, and and they've basically covered every port on the aircraft that you can cover to stop uh, stop animals, bugs from from nesting in there. Though they still have to check them. You know, the wheel wells, like I mentioned, you, you can't very well cover up a wheel well while the wheels are extended. So right. those are regularly after you peaked in. So when they had more than a, uh, they had up to 100 aircraft stored in Tulsa at its peak, you know, and they had techs going around and checking every single aircraft uh, every 10 days for wow. bugs and then powering yeah. up the engine. So... But what I saw was really the finished work. You know, they were, yeah, they were putting these 737s back in service, doing some modifications to the cabin. American is a long, uh, rather delayed program to add seats to their 737-800s. 
that is wrapping up with these aircraft. And, and so they're doing the cabin work, about 10 days of work, both doing the reactivation and the cabin work. And they plan to have everything back in service by, by the end of May, really early June for the summer. Hmm. And so, did, yeah. did they tell you how long, how many man hours it takes or people hours it takes to, uh, to bring a, a mothballed jet f- out of mothballs and back yes. to the flight line? They said about a thousand man hour person wow. hours to, to bring a plane back. And I did a, some back of the notebook uh, calculations based on uh, the median uh, wage under their maintenance con- their maintenance workers uh, labor agreement. And that's about, I want to say, $40,000 worth of, of work just to reactivate huh. a plane, uh, which is cheaper than the $2 million, up to $2 million write-off they had per aircraft they retired in 2020. Mm-hmm. But... You know, it's still not a not an insignificant sum for for one jet. So yeah, no, and that, after, that doesn't that doesn't count the weekly um, of, of course, checks that, is, that you were talking about, or the every right. ten days plus the the costs of parking an aircraft, the real estate. Yes, of course. You know, that's just just the reactivation itself. Yeah, so it's it's a fascinating job, but you know, American is optimistic that they're going to have everything back in service this summer. You know, confident about it. You know, American flew more last summer as well during the pandemic than most of the other major U.S. carriers. And this summer, it looks like they're going to do the same. Uh, anecdotally, I was I was booking some flights for my husband, and Americans' connecting schedule definitely uh, worked out in favor just because there were more flights and more time slots to go, even though everyone's down some. But yeah, then I got to sit down with the head of the MRO and talk a bit about the future uh, plans there. And, you know, it's it's interesting listening to it. You know, they had announced a, a multi-million dollar investment in the facility in February 2020, which, of course, was put on pause about a month later when everything went up. And you, the, the head of the MRO there, he, he was optimistic the future, repeatedly said that American is committed to Tulsa. They've been there since 1940-something, six, I want to say. You know, but the, the multi-million dollar investment is still um, up in the air, for lack of a better word. You know, he said they've approved about $12.5 million of it, though the original plans were for over $500 million. Oh. And right now it's about doing some necessary work, uh, just keeping the facilities they have in good working order rather than building entirely new hangars. You know, but uh, there was no indication that American is ready to, to leave Tulsa. They're actually beginning to hire again. They've got to hire for just over 100 positions. There in Tulsa, uh, they're going to do that this month, just so they're staffed up. So it's it, it's a good news story coming out of Tulsa is is the way they presented it. Though you know they have their challenges. Like I said, that that major investment is on hold for the time being. Though there's no sign that they're pulling back either. So yeah. And and where did American park most of its jets? I mean, it has a lot of real estate in Tulsa itself, right? Yeah, they set up to 100 in Tulsa. Other planes went to Roswell. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of <laughs> Pittsburgh got planes. I think every airport that had available space at its peak <laughs> received some planes, you know. Uh, and then, of course, the ones that were retired. And American retired uh, among the most of the U.S. carriers. Uh, they retired 757s, 767s, A330s, and U190s all in one false swoop. And so, you know, those were sold or sent to Roswell or, you know, deep storage. And when they go to Roswell, we all know they actually go somewhere, some, some galaxy far away. They get beamed up, you know, yes. Scotty's up there. Yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So now that they brought their, 
their aircraft back from various desert locations, Tulsa and and other galaxies. Um, the American plans to bring all what eight hundred something of its aircraft back into service, right? Eight hundred and fifty aircraft should be back in service this summer, which is is I think quite the feat. Now, whether they're operating at full utilization is right. is another question. You know, during Americans' first quarter call last week, Doug Parker made a good point that while we're going to see a lot more twin aisle aircraft flying on domestic routes, that is a temporary thing. They don't expect that to be the case next summer. That's a they have all these large aircraft and they have to send them somewhere. So send, they're sending them to Vegas and Miami and, and Dallas, yeah. anywhere that there's a lot of people going. So you know they're making the best, but they are going to have them all back. You know, I spoke to their head of network planning, Brian Snotens, and he had a good comment that just Right now, the way the financial situation works and the asterisk being the government is still paying for the majority of labor costs, it makes more sense in many cases to keep to fly those aircraft than it does to park them with the, the current operating costs. Right. And you had a really interesting story on Monday about that, right? I mean, the that there will be a lot of triple sevens and seven eights and eight three thirties like plying plying domestic routes for the first time since basically the nineties when uh when Delta had L ten elevens up. Yeah, One no, of my it's, it's dramatic. Aircraft, the In uh, looking at second quarter data, because third quarter isn't set yet, and in the second quarter, while U.S. flights are going to be down overall about twenty five percent compared to twenty nineteen, the number of domestic U.S. flights with operated by a wide body is actually going to be up forty percent compared to twenty nineteen. And and the big standout there was Delta, who will be up two hundred and ninety percent. Wow, American is also up. United, I. I believe would be up, but of course they've been hit by the triple seven Pratt and Whitney engine issues, which have grounded more than half of their triple sevens. Right. So, those, and those are the high density triple seven. Right. right. The ones they would be flying domestically right. if they could. So American United sound, but overall it's, it's, <laughs> if people like wide bodies, this summer is the time to fly on them domestically. You know, the, I, I looked at June and Delta is going to be flying three, seven, six, sevens a day between Atlanta and Denver. You know, it's going to be, gonna feel that. Hey, you know, the airlines are saying leisure bookings are back to pre-crisis levels. So if you think about it, flight schedules are still down. Fly a bigger plane. I bet you they can fill it up, especially to a place like Denver that's a popular outdoor destination. Right. Well, you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, those triple sevens, seven eights, eight three thirties, seven six sevens, they gotta fly somewhere because they're not really flying to Europe or Asia right now. Exactly. You know, despite all the talk of opening up Europe, uh, Europe really to U.S. travelers this summer, it doesn't look like it's going to be happening at least by June. Right. You know, Delta in their schedule update for the weekend pulled a number of their non-stops that weren't to partner hubs and stuff in Europe from the schedule. Just it's it's a quiet way of saying we don't expect travelers to be going in mass to Europe at least at least in June. So well, I mean, there are just so many issues. I know Ursula von der Leyen, the um the president of the European Commission recently said, or the Europe will be open again to vaccinated tourists, but no one has really settled or really determined how the proof of vaccination is going to happen, right? I mean, is it just showing your CDC issued card that you get at your provider? For those of us in the US, um, for, uh, for those of you abroad, we get here, we get cards issued by the provider that's stamped with uh, the dates of our our vaccines. Um, but these are paper cards. They're easily forgeable. And in fact, several, uh, you know, focus groups of um, vaccine hesitant people have have, re- have revealed that people who don't want to get the vaccine also would not hesitate in counterfeiting these cards. So 
And IATA's pushing its uh, tra- vaccine passport. I think the uh, Ryanair ha- lets you upload your vaccine documentation to their app itself. Um, but they, I mean, so what I'm getting at is there. There's just it's all over the place. There's no standardization. It exactly. It's funny that you bring that up because I, I live in Washington D.C. And the local government literally just rolled out a digital sort of warehouse for vaccination records so Mm -hmm. that you could have something. And it was a a story in the local paper yesterday how because different clinics upload in different ways, it's the city wasn't showing a lot of people's COVID vaccination records. So it it just speaks to there's just so many different formats and standards. It's even challenging within one U.S. city to... To, to standardize this, uh, thinking and then try to take that nationwide for everyone that would want to do it. It's just, it's, it's or not a just real nationwide, Dad. I mean, think of it. I mean, the, you know, there's there's a joke which I've forgotten about the, the things moving at the speed of government, and um, <clears throat> and we've got you know you're talking about jurisdictions in the U.S. can't even agree on a common pass. You've got New York's Excelsior pass thing in D.C. California, where I live, has is working on something. So there's no national standard. Then you've got the 27 countries, the EU, that have yet to sort of agree on a standard. So um, And the this peak summer travel season is now just weeks away. Oh, yeah. I think so, most people are already making reservations for the summer. And it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So how um, President Vanderland thinks that they, their Europe will be open for tourists this summer. Just, just it, it confounds me, frankly. I mean, I don't know how, how like, you know, the devil is always in the details, but there's a lot of details here. There's a big devil. Like, <laughs> I don't <laughs> there's know. There's a very big devil waiting. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, so I'm I'm just really skeptical, and I think you know you you mentioned it just a few minutes ago. Um, Delta signaled that it's not as optimistic about this summer. It's international demand, right? I mean, they're like canceling right. flights. Right. Um, what are you hearing from the other three big U.S. carriers? The other two well, big U.S. carriers. Sorry. Yeah, the other two. I mean, you spoke about United and and how they you know, Scott Kirby doesn't think that. There'll be an available hotel room in, in Great Britain right. if they if they open up to U.S. travelers. But I think the what you can read in his statement is if, you know, he said if or when, if, I guess when is what he said. The when is the big question. We don't know when that's going to happen. Americans, similarly, they you look at the schedule and, and I look at Doug Parker's comments about wide bodies flying domestically because this summer because they don't expect those wide bodies to be needed internationally. So they've already put them in the schedule now. Of course, things, airlines are still tweaking schedules 90, 60 days out, which is sort of, it's, it's, it's longer than last summer, but it's not as long as normal. And those wide bodies could come out still. Mm-hmm. But it seems, it seems a big lift to, to expect airlines back into markets that they, you know, many of the markets they suspended in ju- just July and August. Uh, yeah. So at this point. At this point, for sure. And I, I, I'm very skeptical, excuse me, I'm very skeptical that there, there will be an acceptable standard for vaccine documentation by July. You know, I, I, I do think we're looking at another lost summer for, for uh, transatlantic leisure travel in particular. I mean, business is gone. Let's just face it. I mean, whatever Scott Kirby's happy talk may be, like most, the reality is most companies have already signed and sealed their travel budgets for the year and are not going to reopen them. In oh, July, for sure. Right. It, you know, 
<laughs> you know, speaking of, I mean, speaking of business demand, the U.S. carriers are saying are you know optimistic generally about post Labor Day business starting business travel starting to trickle back, and the the most optimistic number I've heard is Alaska saying fifty percent by the end of the year. And then you've got but you've got the European carriers, and they're really saying business is going to start coming back around the end of the year. Is is what Lufthansa was saying. Now we have Air France and IAG presenting this week, and they'll present. You know that'll give us a more rounded vision of of, sort of corporate demand in Europe. But you know, Lufthansa, forty five percent of their revenue is driven by business travel. So you know it's it's striking to acknowledge the fact that they don't expect that sort to come back until the end of twenty twenty. Right. And United said uh, one third of its travel is or one third of its revenue in a typical year was generated by business travel and an- another third was by international travel. So um, th- th- it's it's hard to see any of that coming back before the end of the year. And the thing, you know, the thing that's also worth remembering, Ned, is that um, by September, at least in the U.S., science will have taken us as far as we can go. Right. Um, against this disease. Absolutely, Medea. There's reports already that uh, a lot of public health, uh, the New York Times had a story just this week uh, um, that said a lot of public uh, health officials and epidemiologists believe that the U.S. will never reach herd immunity. Um, I heard the same thing on NPR this week. It is definitely growing concern about that. Right. So this, this... Disease will just be some, I guess, a risk we'll just have to manage going forward. But that seems, at least in terms of travel, I don't think anyone will have figured it out by the end of this year is what I, I think I'm getting at. No. And that's what we keep saying, Madhu, is that this virus has shown itself to be a very uh, worthy adversary. Yes. And I don't think anyone said we're going to be beyond it this summer, but at the same time, all of our optimism must be couched with the fact that it, COVID-19 is still going to be very much circulating in the global population. And it's definitely going to be taking its toll on this summer's travel in, in one way or another. Yeah. And, you know, there was just a report in the Times yesterday about uh, the Tokyo Olympics, which was kind of alarming. The, the Tokyo Olympics will need about 78,000 volunteers. You know, Olympics, the, the people who like, who you know, show the athletes from the the changing room to to the pool, for example, or, you know, direct them to the lunch table, whatever. Th- those people are usually volunteers. They've all been told they will not be vaccinated in time for the Olympics. So there's now concern that this will be a super spreader event. I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but, um, but it just shows that, you know, also that there's we're we're fortunate here in the U.S. The rollout has been great. It's been great in Britain, Israel, Bhutan. There there are certain countries where where vaccinations have have really uh, stepped up and and public health has done a fantastic job. But there there's a, the vast majority of the world is unvaccinated, and um, <laughs> you know that what that means for travel, especially international travel, is um, is something you know you can't just hop, happy talk your way out of. Absolutely. You know, we've talked about Brazil many times, but yeah, it's a very much a concern. Yeah. Very much a concern. And then India is a public health catastrophe right now. All 
All right, and we're back. Well, we've t- we've talked about the the possibility of uh, what transatlantic demand may look like this summer, and how airlines are subtly signaling that they're they are not expecting much and putting their wide bodies um, on their domestic networks in the U.S. So let's talk about U.S. summer demand. Ned, what are you hearing? I mean, the airlines are still optimistic about leisure travel yes. this summer, and so we talked about wide bodies going to popular leisure destinations. Airlines continue to, to add flights. You know, American just announced that they're returning to Columbus, Georgia in August. Not that that's a hot leisure destination, but it's it's a new destination on their map. Whereas last summer we were talking about airlines trying to get waivers to yeah. end flights to cities. So, you know, this is good news. It's a po- it's positive steps forward for the industry, the U.S. domestic industry. But we're still not going to be back to, to 2019 levels. And like you said, business is going to be gone. None of that internet long-haul international feed is going to be there. But I think we're going to see full planes this summer, busy yeah. airports. You know, I my think, biggest... I'm sorry. I think you're right. I mean, we will see busy airports. We'll see full planes, especially to certain leisure destinations in the Mountain West, for example, Pacific Northwest, if the latest outbreak there can be contained. Um, to wherever... Uh, it, I, I, I think last year's trend of, um, or at least what I'm hearing, last year's trend towards outdoor leisure destinations it will continue this year. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I've, uh, I've booked two trips this summer already, and I'm going to outdoor destinations in the Mountain West, frankly. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Inadvertently, I mean, visiting family but for one of them. But it's, it's funny, though, I have big concerns about whether TSA will be staffed up at airports this summer and then if concessions are going to be open I was just reading a report in the Washington Post the other day that TSA had planned to hire, I want to say, 6,000 new agents for summer, and they're only a third of the way there. Mm. And we're in the U.S., we are three weeks out from Memorial Day, which is the symbolic start of summer. So that is not a good place for TSA to be. SeaTac International Airport is allowing travelers to book to pre-reserve spots in security queues because they're so bad. On peak days, now there's been images of the queues stretching into the parking garage at the airport. So I I really worry we're going to see more of that as, as the summer you know, ramps up, especially. And in my experience traveling to Tulsa was busy airports. I'm, I'm lucky none of the security queues I, I went in were very long, but you know, the connecting airports I was in, Houston and Chicago, were very busy while oh. I was there. And then half the concessions weren't open, which created its own issues. Oh, yeah. That, you know, so that would be you, tough. It's, it's going to be interesting. It will be. But, I mean, on the positive side of the ledger, ledger uh, uh, the, the U.S. in aggregate has saved more than any other time in its history, I think. So there's a lot. People have a lot of discretionary income. Those, those, those people that were fortunate enough to keep their jobs, of course. But there, yes. people have not been going out to eat. They haven't been going to ball games. They haven't been going to, um, they haven't been buying suits. They've been, you know, buying sweatpants, which are a lot cheaper than suits. Um, they've Scott Kirby and others seem to think that the, the, the massive spending on home improvement has sort of petered out and now people want to spend it on travel. So, um, it's interesting that we're saying that now because I, I myself and several of my friends here in Washington, we're all, actually investing in home improvement projects yes. this summer. So I don't know if it's petered out yet. And and there's a wait for contractors here in the DC area. So I I really wonder if that home improvement trend's petered out. So. I agree with you actually. And I I, I think that's also um 
that's all also might be overly optimistic on some of the industry airline industry analysts um, on the part of some of the airline industry analysts because I, I know here in California uh, there's a six month like contract you have six contractors are, are booked up six months out so even if I wanted to to do some work on my house or get some work done in my house it, it it's almost impossible and plus there's there's you know a massive shortage of uh, of building materials. So, um, and if you try to order a fridge, you might have to wait two months. (laughs) Absolutely. One of my running buddies is building a new house in Vermont and said they're putting off construction for six to nine months just to, because materials are so expensive. It's like, Mm -hmm. we don't need it this summer. So let's just wait and see if, you know, prices come down. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of that discretionary income is going toward new kitchens and backyards and, or in your friend's case, a new house. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, you're, you're right. Absolutely right. The savings rate is up and there are plenty of Americans out there who are not doing home improvements that probably will travel. Uh, you know, it's going to be a mixed bag this summer. It's going to be far better than 2020, but I really, I don't think it's going to be as good as everyone's saying it might be, but I don't think it's going to be terrible either. That's yeah. kind of, it's going to like many things. It'll end up somewhere in the middle. <laughs> right. Right. And also, we've got to remember that these are leisure fairs and they may be higher than they were last summer, but they're still not the same as walk-up business fairs that airlines made so much money on. Oh, absolutely. The yields are, are nowhere back to, to 2019 levels, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, Ned. Thank you again for joining us on uh, the Airline Weekly Lounge. I know it's your job, but uh, to all of you listening, thank you for joining us in this week's Airline Weekly Lounge. Please check out uh, airlineweekly.com. That's uh, a new issue drops every Monday. Um, Check out our subscription page for details on how to subscribe. And we update the site throughout the week. Thank you. And I hope to see you back here next week. Bye, Madhu. Bye, Ned. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.